man walks into a psychiatrist's office and lays down the couch. And the doctor asks him, so what brings you in today? And the man says, I am absolutely tormented over some decisions in my life uh, to the point where it's affected my mental and my physical health. And the doctor replied, he said, I see. He said, well, let's try and understand what's going on here. He said, let's uh, start back at the beginning, even as a young person. Have you always been a person who struggled with indecisiveness? The man thought for a moment. He said, well, yes and no. It was a joke. It was a la- listen, it was a lame joke, but, but I'm wearing great shoes. Amen. Would you acknowledge that this morning? Amen. Thank God for that. It is a lame joke, but it's going to be a good bridge into what we're talking about this morning because here's my experience is that many of you have at times in your Christian walk and your journey uh, have wondered uh, what, what, what is the right decision uh, what, what does it look like? What is the next right uh, choice in this step in my life of journeying with uh, Jesus Christ? So uh, we start off this series, a new series uh, called Grow for the beginning of the year and talk about all the areas that we hope to grow uh, in Jesus Christ in 2016. And the first two weeks we talked about wisdom. Uh, what does it look like to grow in wisdom? And today and next week we're going to look at growing uh, in discernment. So uh, for the sake of clarity and possibly at the expense of splitting hairs, uh, we're looking at wisdom as kind of a broad uh, general character quality of a person. A person no matter what the circumstances are, they just seem to exude and operate under the banner of wisdom and discernment. We're uh, defining as a little more narrow specifically uh, Uh, What does it look like to discern the will of God in my life? Now, when we talk about uh, this uh, area of discerning God's will for my life, uh, I'm operating under the banner that there's a lot of interest uh, in this subject. And the reason I know that is because I've had lots and lots and lots of questions uh, related to this very subject about discerning God's will for my life. So let's just do a little unscientific research this morning. If you've ever wondered what God's will is for your life in a particular area, would you just raise your hand? Yeah. Uh, some of you have both your hands up. So a person back there has got their shoe off and their foot up. I don't know what that means. But, but this is a subject that we're interested in. And we're wondering, what is God's will for life? What does it uh, look like? And so even if you're here and you're not a Christian, you're still kind of checking this thing out, what the gospel is and all those things, you've probably wondered that if God has a plan for my life, I I don't know what it is. What does it look like uh, to discern God's will? Sometimes it's big picture kind of stuff. You know, sometimes it's smaller decisions. We want to discern the will of God in our life. You know, what school should I go to? Uh, Should I accept that job offer or should I stay at my current job? Is he or she uh, the one? You know, a strawberry or grape? By the way, the answer to that one is always strawberry. You should write that down, all right? So big decisions, little decisions. We're wondering, uh, what is the will of God? Now, in approaching this subject this morning, let me give a little disclaimer. Uh, We will by no means able to exhaust and explore every question you have related to the will of God. And so, matter of fact, for this uh, sermon today, I had about seven different sources. I had four books I was looking at. I got a couple sermons I've been reading. Got some articles I've uh, printed off and pulling this all together this morning. And I told someone uh, several weeks ago, I said, hey, at the start of the year, I'm going to be preaching on discerning God's will. And they said, oh, uh, if you got all your resources, you've got to get this book. It is the definitive work on the will of God from a biblical framework. I said, great, I ordered the book, and it came in. It's on my desk. It is 526 pages long. And so what do you do with that? I, just, I had Chris read it and write down the notes, whatever he thought. So 
So here's the point. There is more information out there on the subject than I can have in 35-minute sermon, even two weeks. But this is just going to be uh, part one this morning. And so uh, part one will be discerning God's will. I just want to give you a theological framework because so many questions and conversations related to the, the will of God in someone's life over the years have operated outside of a basic theological framework. And then what happens is you get people uh, looking for things uh, to confirm what they want to be God's will. You know, you got the person who's eating, you know, alphabet soup and certain letter combination comes up. I'm like, that's it. God spoke. You know, you're going to talk about, you open up your quesadilla and there's the face of Jesus. And so clearly this is what God wants for my life, right? And I'm all for quesadillas. Write that down. And many times, uh, God is silent. And so God gives us general principles to kind of filter uh, decisions through and discerning what is the best course of action, how God-honoring decision. And uh, so, so it is a challenging subject for many, many people. And so my goal is to give us just a biblical, theological framework this morning. And remember, this is part one. We'll get into some specifics next week. And if there's need, we'll even add a third week uh, to this part of the series. Now, if you listen to me preach, overwhelming majority of my preaching is verse by verse through books of the Bible. Uh, but I could not find one book or one chapter that contained all God said on the subject of discerning His will. And so uh, this morning, I want to start off the conversation uh, in Psalm 19. Here's why. Psalm, I'm sorry, Psalm 119. Uh, because Psalm 119 is basically a person longing to know and do uh, the will of God. And so last week I told you Proverbs is uh, for general wisdom on how to relate to people kind of horizontally. And Psalms give us wisdom on how to relate to God vertically. And anytime we're pursuing God's will and intimacy with God, that is an act of worship in our life. Worship is not just singing, it's doing everything for the glory of God. And so here in Psalm 119, uh, this is a person who desperately wants to honor God with the course of their life. And so Psalm 119, uh, verses 33 down through verse 37, we'll begin the conversation uh, this morning. Psalm 119, verse 33 says, uh, Teach me, O Lord, uh, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it till the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, uh, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness, which I never can say that word. <laughs> Verse 37, uh, turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive in me your way. And my guess is you're here this morning either because uh, the person sitting next to you nagged you to the point where you just thought it was easier just to get up and come. Or you're here because you want to know uh, what God wants from you. You want to know what God expects. Uh, you agree with all those things. Uh, the psalmist said, you said, yes, I, I would love to, uh, to have written that. And, and that agrees with my heart. I want God to direct my paths like verse 35 says. I don't want to waste my life on selfish pursuits like verse 36 references. I want to follow and obey God like verse 33 and verse 34 says. And I want God to turn my eyes from worthless things like verse 37 talks about because ain't nobody got time for that, right? Yeah, I, I want all of those things for my life. I just don't know what it looks like always. I, I, if God would spell it out in the sky, if God would just give me a clear sign, if God would speak audibly to me so that I could know and discern what it would look like in this situation, the context of my life, to do all the things the psalmist writes about, I would love that. But I'm not sure how to make that happen. And in uh, God directing our paths, uh, it, it is sometimes there is a lack of clarity. I openly uh, acknowledge that, and it would be easier if God just made it so clear, but many times 
Uh, he does not. And I've uh, walked through that uh, myself. And so uh, let me give you an example. So but we came here. I didn't realize this. Someone put this on Facebook this morning, someone on our staff, uh, that, that six years ago today, you voted for me to be your pastor. Six years ago today. I don't know what you were doing, what you were thinking, but that happened six years ago today, all right? And so thank you. It's been a joy to be here. And I just got to tell you that, that in that time, uh, you were not the only girl I was dating, all right? Did you know that? Like we were talking to other churches. We just kind of felt God stirring us to, to something. I just wrapped up my master's degree. And, and so I just said, you know, God, if you want me to go somewhere else, I'm open. This is a good time, but I'll stay. If you want me to, it's in a great church and all those things. So we talked to lots of churches all over the country. And just uh, to be honest with you, given the state of the church at the time, this was the least attractive option. All right? And so when I looked at the bride here, I thought, uh, she ain't pretty. All right? As a matter of fact, I had friends call and be like, don't go there, don't, you know, don't do it, don't do it, you know. And, uh, and so at the end of the day, we, we just came here, why? Because we wanted to. That despite all the challenges, we wanted to, that we tried to delight ourselves in the law of the Lord so that he would give us the desire of our heart, in other words, put his desire in us. And, and when people would ask me, they said, why are you going there? And I would say, because I want to. Is that, is that not a good thing? Like, should I not want to? And some people think that God's will, the le- less I want to do it, the more clearly it's God's will. Like, God, I don't want to go to Africa, so you must be calling me to Africa, right? We wanted to. But here's the question. Would we have been outside the will of God had we gone to another church? And how you answer that question is is your theological framework as it relates to discerning the will of God for your life. You may be at a job and you went there and said, it's great, but you had other job opportunities. Uh, And you think, was I outside God's will going here? Is that why things are going so bad? Because I'm outside the will of God and all the consequences and all those kinds of things. So, so here's what we're going to do this morning. Remember, this is at least two parts. It made it be a third message in this little series within our series. And so all I'm going to do this morning is give you some big boulders, some big hooks uh, theologically to understand what the Bible teaches relating to the will of God. So, so a lot of theology on the front end that I'm going to tell a long story at the end that's humorous, but it totally has a point and will hope to simplify it. Now, I've been doing this long enough to know that when some of you heard lots of theology on the front end, you just thought, that's a good time to catch up on some sleep. And when he gets the application, or if he tells a joke, wake me up. But other than that, right? Now listen, I promise you it's incredibly important and relevant to the whole understanding God's will. Because if your theological foundation, you're trying to build God's will, is messed up, then guess what? Everything built on it will crumble at some point. Point in time. So, uh, so that's what we're going to do this morning. Just part one is build the block. So if that sounds like a good plan, say amen. Good, because that's what I was going to do anyway. So, so when you talk about God's will, there are basically three words, three ideas, three thoughts, three principles, however you want to characterize that. Uh, what is it comes and talks about the will of God that Scripture teaches and uh, exposes principles about. And so let me just state these, these three ideas here, and then I will explain and walk through them this morning. So the, the first thought as it relates to God's will is God's sovereign will. God's sovereign will. Uh, but when we also look at Scripture, we talk and see about uh, God's moral will. And so there is the moral will of God. But then third, uh, we, we also have lots of questions and wonder what does the Bible teach as it relates to God's individual will. And so the Bible's talking about God's sovereign will, and then there's God's moral will. But most of the questions that we have are centered around God's individual will. Like, I get that, and I get that, and, but what about this? Like, these are all my questions, all right? Well, let me help you walk through these, because if you don't understand the first two, it will greatly uh, diminish your ability to live out the last one and even understand what, what that even is and what it looks like, okay? So, 
as it relates to God's uh, sovereign will, let me tell you what that is. It is God's secret plan that determines everything that happens uh, in the universe. Now, God's grand plan of redemption in itself is the holistic, the major moving pieces. There is no secret about that. Uh, God is a God who is self-revealing, so God has chosen uh, to reveal His plan of redemption. And, and at the end of the day, it is an unalterable uh, plan. But the exact means and timing or how He carries out every facet of that, uh, there is some mystery resolved in that. Now, if you're like me, uh, I, don't, I don't watch the news a whole lot because when I do, uh, I get uh, discouraged. Right? It's just like one disconnected bad story, one disconnected fearful set of events, one, you know, all these kinds of things just over and over. But when I look at and remind myself about the sovereign uh, will of God, you know, we're in election season, so there's a lot of unrest about that. You know how much I hate, hate, hate politics. Uh, but my experience is uh, when I reflect on all of that, at the end of the day, who's in the White House is not nearly as important as who's coming back riding a white horse. That, that's what the Bible teaches over and over and over. And so why? Because that is the sovereign will of God, that no matter what happens, God's plan of redemption is unalterable. And Jesus Christ will come back and set up his kingdom. Does that mean I shouldn't be involved in that stuff? Does that mean I should just get a lousy flare? No, 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 that doesn't mean that all. It just means at the end of the day, listen, Christ will come back on a right horse and set up his kingdom. All right? And so that is God's uh, sovereign will. And, but at the same time, what about the free will of man? And there's so much debate and conversation about these two things. And let me, let me just tell you this. There are people far smarter than you and I who have been wrestling with these things for years and years and have not come to a clear resolution on these things. Uh, one writer said this. He said it's like two parallel tracks and at some point they intersect and we don't always see where that intersection is at. But as it relates to the sovereign will of God, uh, one of the best illustrations I've seen uh, my favorite uh, preacher is uh, Pastor James McDonald. And James McDonald has a great illustration on the idea that God is operating and carrying out his sovereign will, but we get the chance to make uh, real choices with real consequences in the midst of that. And here's the illustration. He said, imagine uh, that you're boarding a cruise ship and it's headed to England. I don't know why he chose England. I would have chose like the you know, Caribbean or something. But anyway, headed to England. And at the end of the day, you got your ticket. You say, hey, I'm departing from here, and the boat is going to land in England. Now, along the way, uh, you've got some options. Uh, you're free to sleep in every single day. You're free to get up and work out. I don't know why you would, but you're free to do that, right? You're free to go and watch the show and watch those you know, people perform. You're free to spend your days playing uh, shuffleboard. When it comes to dinner, you're free to order steak or you can order chicken. You can even go back uh, for seconds. But at the end of the day, all of your choices, which have an impact on your personal experience, do not change the fact that that ship will dock in England. That's the sovereign will of God. That, that along the way, uh, some have re referred to this writers as the efficient will of God. And God caused it to happen because it's a part of his unalterable sovereign uh, plans uh, for the nations. And my choices I make uh, determine whether I'm involved in participating in that or whether I'm suffering the consequences of my disobedience. But at the end of the day, uh, God is not thwarted by the choices that I make. That God has a plan of redemption. And no matter how bad it gets out in the world, listen, it is not the end of the story. The end of the story is we win. That is unalterable. God's sovereign plan. Now, let me warn you against some extremes 
uh, related to this idea, and then I'll give you some scripture that teaches God's sovereign plan. Uh, so you know, I'm not just making this up as I go along. Extreme number one, if you're not careful when you talk about the sovereign uh, will of God being carried out for redemption, extreme number one is uh, fatalism. And fatalism teaches that at the end of the day, every detail of life is not just allowed by God, it is directly caused by God. That, 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 that's the view, that's a, the end result is that fatalism. Uh, for example, uh, folks who are fatalistic in their theology, if they were to walk uh, out you know, of their bedroom and fall down a flight of steps, they would get up and say, well, thank God that's over. Like that was a part, God had planned that, God caused it, God made that happen, so it just, just happened, right? And negates the fact that the reality is we have uh, free will in the sense that we make real choices that have real consequences, both good and bad. The fatalist purposely drives off the cliff with no seatbelt on and yells out on the way down, this is the will of God. It's fatalism. Extreme number two on the other end of that spectrum is kind of the, why bother? If God is sovereign, if God's going to carry out his plan of redemption, if we know how the story ends, then why bother? Why so much uh, concern about wisdom and discernment and the will of God and all of those things? Uh, because here's why. Because even though the grand plan of God is sovereign, my participation and joy in being a part of that plan is optional. Uh, the painful consequences of my unwise choices are not negated by God's sovereign plan. And so the Bible clearly speaks about the sovereign will of God, but it also says I make real choices with real consequences, good and bad, as God is carrying out His unalterable sovereign will. And so sometimes when you think of the will of God, there are some things you don't have to wonder about. Listen, God just said, this is what's going to happen, thus saith the Lord. And some of you, that, listen, that should cause great comfort in your life, that God is, listen, God is not up there, even in election season, God is not wringing His hands wondering, Oh, is this going to change the outcome of the plan? No, no, no. God says, listen, I've got it all done from beginning to end. What are some verses that teach the sovereign will of God? This is just a sampling of verses. Uh, Proverbs 16, 33 in the uh, ESV says this, uh, The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Uh, New Living Translation paraphrase reads this way, We may throw the dice. Uh, in Hebrew, that means play Powerball. Just write that down, all right? Uh, but the Lord determines how they fall. And you're thinking, I wish you would have fell on me, right? Proverbs 21.1, ESV says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Ephesians 1.11, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined, according to the plan of him, listen to this, who works out everything in conformity with his, the purpose of his will. Acts chapter 2, uh, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, listen, him being delivered, delivered over to the, the, the people who were persecuting him by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. God has a sovereign will, and no matter how upside down life gets, take great comfort knowing that nothing is happening out to thwart the plan of God of redemption. Jesus Christ is coming back for his church. He will sustain us in the meantime, and until then, we're to give him glory and trust his goodness. And so when we think about the will of God, you have to acknowledge the Bible talks about the sovereign will of God. It is going to happen. But the Bible also talks about and gives reference and teaching to uh, God's moral will. Uh, God's moral will are His revealed commands in the Bible that teach us how we should live and behave. Now, let me help you understand these. The primary difference between God's uh, moral will and God's sovereign will is that the sovereign will of God is unalterable. 
It doesn't matter what you do. God is going to do what he has to do to carry out his plan of redemption. But the moral will of God, you and I can violate by obedience or uh, rather disobedience. God gives us the freedom to choose to obey his moral law. But my experience has been this. uh, While we have the freedom to choose, you and I do not have the freedom to choose the consequences that come along with that. And I've learned that the hard way, and I'm sure you have as well. As it relates to the moral will of God, God expresses, listen, here's my desire for you. Here's what I want for your life. And there are many areas of your life there's, you're, you're wondering, you're anxious about, should I, should I, should I, what is the will of God? And many, many times you're anxious in areas that God has already spoken towards. God has already said, here, listen, here's my will. You don't have to wonder, just obey. And so many times we're often mysterious about the will of God when God has already spoken uh, clearly on something. Now, when you think of the sovereign will of God, uh, many times people ask the question, well, if God is sovereign and all-powerful, uh, does God not get what he wants? If this is what God wants in Aaron, he's God, he's sovereign, he's powerful, doesn't God always get uh, what he wants? The answer is this, under the banner of God's sovereignty, God has chosen to communicate his moral will at the expense of executing it. What does it mean? It means God says, here's what I want for your life. I hope you obey. And if you don't, there's consequences. But I'm not executed. You're not a robot. There's some choice on your part uh, in the process. And why does God do that? Because at the end of the day, God wants us to love him. And love is always a choice. Now, you see, I don't know how to reconcile those things. Make it, make it really, really simple. Let me just give you one verse uh, that teaches. There are lots of them. I wrote down several. Let me just give you one verse. Uh, God's moral will... Uh, in, in a particular area is found in 1 Thessalonians uh, 4, 3. Here, here's what it says. Uh, God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Uh, so when someone comes and says, hey, I'm involved with this person, we're in a relationship, and I don't know if this is God's will, and I said, well, let me ask you a question. Are you involved in a physical way? Yeah, that's not God's will for your life. How do you know that? Because I know. And so the Bible says this clearly, uh, this is the will of God. So question number one, is it God's will to pursue sexual uh, immorality? No. Are there lots of people pursuing sexual immorality? Yes. Why? Because God's moral will is sexual purity, but God doesn't cause it to happen in everyone's life as obvious by the stats in our culture. Let me give you some other verses about God's uh, moral will for your life. Uh, God's moral will is to glorify him in all things. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Should should I be involved in this hobby, this job, whatever? Can you do it for God's glory? No, then it's not God's will. To do good works is the will of God. 1 Peter 2, 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. It's God's will for you to live a life of thanksgiving. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. What does that mean? That means it's never God's will for you to be grumpy. Did you know that? Like I've got a teenager in my house and one that's almost a teenager, and I'm going to put this verse on their wall. Never God's will. That I don't give thanks uh, for everything, but I give thanks in everything is what the scripture talks about. This is the will of God, that I would be a person of thanksgiving. It's God's will that you and I would bear fruit for God's glory. Uh, Colossians 1.10 says this, that God wants you to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So that's just a sampling of verses. And Christianity is not 
It's not a list of do's and don'ts in order to have a relationship with God, uh, but for those who already have a relationship with Christ, he does set out some boundaries of his moral will. He does say, hey, listen, if you belong to me, this is what I want for your life. Here's some things I don't want for your life. Now, some of you are sitting there and thinking, I don't like that. It sounds restrictive. Matter of fact, I don't particularly like being told what to do. I'm, I'm a grown-up. And so that whole idea that, that God has a moral will, don't do this, do this, I don't know if I uh, totally uh, agree with that, but let me just share with you here. Listen, the motive is not control. The motive is love. And so I don't, I don't think that's loving. That if you have children, then just sit them down this afternoon and say, you know what? I love you too much to control you, so you do whatever you want. And let me know how that turns out so that I can laugh. All right? Why? Because you say, no, I don't want you to run out in the street. Why? Because I love you. And so my will is you would not do that. But it's because I love you, not just to control you. But many times God's moral law, moral will doesn't directly address many specific decisions uh, by an individual. For example, God warns us strongly about getting into too much debt. But God doesn't say, uh, as the overflow of that, you should buy this car, uh, not that car, this house, uh, not that house. And so many, many times there are lots of questions. And I, here, here's my experience this morning. And there's lots of theology on the front, so just stay with me. Most people don't wrestle with the sovereign will of God. They wrestle with how it relates to the free will of man, all those questions and how does it intersect and all that. But, but like the sovereign will of God, if I say, hey, listen, Jesus is coming back for his church, you're like, amen, amen. Less people wrestle with the moral will of God. But God said, do this and don't do this and here's why. And it's black ink on white paper. So I'm not, you know, I get that. I may not like it always, but I don't wrestle with that too much. I wrestle with obeying it, but not the concept of it. My experience is this. Uh, this third area is what most people uh, wrestle with about. And it is God's individual will or God's perfect will is what some people have described it. Uh, and so, so here's, here's what many of you are wondering. Like, what is God's specific will in fill in the blank? And now, let me remind you this morning, this is a two, if not three-part message, all right? So at the risk of being the, the, the TV producer who gets you up to the pinnacle and then breaks the commercial, uh, come back next week because we'll walk this in more detail in part two. But let me, let me just give you, make a little statement about this, uh, just a little theological statement, and then I'm going to tell you a long story at the end that's funny, but it helps illustrate it incredibly uh, clear. And so... Uh, many times we struggle to know the individual perfect will of God for life, or even is there such thing as that? Uh, God's individual will is a term that God's uh, ideal, detailed life plan uniquely designed for each person. Now, some of you, you don't like the thought of that. You're a creative. Raise your hand in the room if you're a room in the creative. Yeah, if you're just a creative person, you're artsy, you're creative. Like, yeah, there's only two people in here. Yeah. You're in the midst of wolves. Let me write that, all right? Because here's what's happened. All the non-creatives are going around going, those are the crazy people, right? There's no order. They don't get up at the same time. They don't eat the same things every day. They just go, ah, just, you know, beautiful and just go rainbows and unicorns and whatever, all that, right? And so you're not like, you know, you're like, I don't want to be confined. But some of you, apparently 99.9% .9 of you who did not raise your hand, you want there to be a specific, clearly spelled out, this is God's will, this is the spot you need to stand on if you're in the center of God's will. How many of you like the idea of that? We are an uptight church, all right? Well, here's the problem. In my study of Scripture and understanding this, uh, that is not what the Bible teaches. 
that there is a detailed, specific, that's called the spot theory by theologians. And the spot theory basically teaches there is a specific spot you have to land on every decision or else you're either outside the will of God or you're going to get God's second best. Like you have to live in this house to be on the spot. You have to drive this car to be on the spot. Uh, you have to work at this place to be on the spot. Now, now and some people like, you know, if the Bible doesn't teach that, uh, that's liberating. Some people, they wish that it would. Like life would be so much easier. <laughs> my experience is this. So I taught this several years ago. I've taught the same thing in all my study. I'm absolutely committed to this from a theological perspective. And I had a, a group of people come to me who, who did not like the idea that God didn't have a detailed, specific, uh, you know, this is the spot you need to be on. And let me tell you what, it was a group of women. And what I found out is I jacked up their Valentine's Day. Like this is the only person I could have married on, on God's green earth and been in the center of God's will. God created this person to, to meet my needs. And I said, I'm sorry. Like, I, I'm sorry, that, but most of that theology comes from Hallmark. That, that God didn't create your spouse to meet your needs. God created your spouse to bring him glory. And, and being with you in a God-honoring way is one of the ways that he could bring glory. But he could have done that with someone else. <gasps> and I just strutted off there. I just... You want to argue with me? Cancel Valentine's Day. Outside the will of God. <laughs> Listen, I'm just going to make a statement here and I'm going to tell you a story and it'll wrap it up in part two, a lot more detail about God's individual will next week. Here's the reality. God is more concerned with the kind of person you're becoming than he is about what street you live on and the logo on your work shirt or your last name. Do you understand that? God's more concerned about the person you're becoming like Christ than he is the street you live on or the place on your paycheck. And so uh, we're going to get into that a little bit next week. I had someone catch me at the first service. They said, hey, um, I need part two now. Like, I, I, can you stay after? And like, I need part two now. And so uh, let me just uh, say this, the what of theology. So we've talked a lot of theology, God's sovereign will, God's moral will, God's individual will, which I don't, I don't hold to that. Um, God's, you know, all these things. And so the what of theology uh, should lead always to a so what. And so here's the so what about the things we talked through today that relate to the God's individual will for your life. Most of the mystery, if you're listening, say amen. Most of the mystery regarding God's individual will for your life will be solved in obeying the moral will of God that he's expressed already. I had someone come to my office. Uh, this has been a long time ago. A uh, long time ago. Someone came to my office and said, you know, I'm, I'm involved in this relationship with this person, and I don't know if this is God's uh, individual will for my life to be involved in this person. I said, well, I can tell you definitively that it's not. You're like astounded, like, you know, this, He's a prophet. He speaketh, right? And he said, well, how do you, you haven't heard my story? How do you know? I said, let me tell you how I know that's not God's will. They make me happy and all that stuff. And I said, let me tell you how I know that's not God's person, uh, God's will for your life. That, that's not God's perfect will, that person in your life. It said, it's real simple. They're married to someone else. I don't have to pray about that because most of the mystery in the individual will of God is found in following and honoring the moral will of God. Listen, ladies, God will never send you a man that's married to someone else. And guys, vice versa. 
And so most of the mystery about God's individual will will be solved in finding out what God's moral will is. Now, and everything else, listen, what, what if it got, but specific, there's freedom. There's freedom in that. Freedom in that. Well, we'll get to part two next week. And I know some of you need the answers already, but um, we'll get to part two next week. Let, let me just close. Let me just tell you a, a story here at the end. It's, it's obviously fictional. It's a long story, but it's funny. But more importantly, being funny, it'll help you understand this idea that within the boundaries of God's moral will, there's a lot more freedom than standing on one spot and wondering, am I in the will of God? The story is called The First Supper. Adam was hungry. He had a long, challenging day naming animals. His afternoon nap had been refreshing, and his post-siesta introduction to Eve was exhilarating, to say the least. She was the most beautiful woman he'd ever seen. A little Bible humor. Come on. But as the sun began to set on the first day, Adam discovered that he had worked up an appetite. I think we should eat, he said to Eve. Let's call the evening meal supper. Oh, you are so decisive, Adam, Eve said. I like that in a man. I guess all the excitement of being created has made me hungry too. And they discussed how they should proceed. They decided that Adam would gather fruit from the garden and Eve would prepare it for their meal. Adam set about his task and soon returned with a basket full of ripe fruit. He gave it to Eve and went to soak his feet in the soothing current of the Pishon River until supper was ready. He'd been reviewing the animals' names for about five minutes when he heard his wife's troubled voice. Adam, could you come help me for a moment? What seems to be the problem, dear? I'm not sure which of these lovely fruits I should prepare for supper. I've prayed for guidance for the Lord, to, for his will, but I'm not sure what he wants me to do. I don't want to miss out on his will on my very first decision. Would you go to the Lord and ask him what I should do about supper? Adam's hunger was intensifying, but he understood Eve's dilemma, and he was scared of her. So he, I, I added that in. So he, <laughs> it's genetic, guys. Just deal with it, all right? So he left her to go speak with the Lord. Shortly he returned. He appeared perplexed. Well, said Eve. He didn't really answer your question. Eve said, what do you mean? He didn't say anything? Not much. He just repeated what he said earlier today regarding the garden tour. From any tree of the garden you may not eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. I assure you, Eve, I steered clear of the forbidden tree. I appreciate that, Eve said, but it doesn't solve my problem. What fruit should I prepare for dinner tonight? From the rumbling in his stomach, Adam discovered that lions and tigers weren't the only things that growl. So he said, I have never seen such crisp, juicy apples. I feel a sense of peace about them. Why don't you prepare them for supper? All right, Adam, I guess you've had more experience at making decisions than I have. I appreciate your leadership. You're the smartest man I've ever met. I'll call you when supper's ready. At... <laughs> Adam was only halfway back to the river when he heard Eve's call. He jogged back to the clearing where she was working, but his anticipation evaporated when he saw her face. More problems, he asked? Adam, I just can't decide how I should fix these apples. I could slice them. I could dice them. I could mash them. I could bake them in a pie. A cobbler fritter dumplings. I really want to be your helper, but I also want to be certain of the Lord's will in this decision. Would you be a dear and go just one more time to the Lord with my problem? Adam was not keen on bothering the Lord again, but he was scared of Eve. And so after a while, he returned and said, I got of the Lord, I, I got the same answers before. From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Adam and Eve were both silent, paralyzed. And then when a light in his eye, Adam said, you know, Eve, the Lord made that statement as though it fully answered my question. I'm sure he could have told us what to eat and how to eat, but I think he's given us freedom to make those decisions. 
It was the same way with the animals today. He told me to name the animals, but he didn't whisper any names in my ear. Assigning those names was my responsibility. Eve was incredulous. Do you mean that we could have any of these fruits for supper, Eve said? Are you telling me that I can't miss God's will in this decision? The only way you could do that is to pick some fruit from the forbidden tree, but none of these fruits are from that tree. Why, I suppose we're free to eat a little from each of them. Adam snapped his fingers and exclaimed, Say, that's a great idea. Let's have fruit salad for supper. And so they did. Let me quote, close by quoting a verse, one for believers, one for unbelievers, on God's will for Christians. Here it is, write it down. First Cunningham 1 1. For, I'm nervous because I saw some of you writing that down. Like, well, this is good. I can pick it up. For this is the will of God. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and eat fruit salad every night for dinner. Delight yourself in the law of the Lord, and He will give you the desire of your heart. Psalm 37 4. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, let me share a different verse with you. This is a real one. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're wondering, what is God's will for my life? God's will for your life today is to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior today. And I'd like to give you a chance to do that right now. Would you bow your heads this afternoon? If you're here and you're not a Christian... You're wondering, what's the next step? What does God want for my life? God wants you in a relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. God went to great lengths to make that happen. To reconcile you to Himself through the cross. And so if you're here this morning and you want to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, would you start off just confessing your sins before a holy God, agreeing with God that you're not perfect, you haven't met the standard that Jesus set. And then would you express to God in prayer a desire to turn from those sins? We call that repentance. And then would you trust Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Would you place all of your faith in Him? Not in yourself and your good works, but in His work on the cross for you. Would you invite Him in your life to be your Savior and your Lord? The Bible says you can do that today. You don't have to walk down an aisle. You don't have to get baptized. You don't have to join a church. You can receive Christ right now, right where you're sitting today, by faith. Would you pray and accept Jesus as your Savior today? For those of you in the room who are already Christ followers, and who recognize that, understand today that there may be some freedom in the will of God, but there's also great responsibility in that freedom. And you just want to be wise. You want to be discerning about that. Some decisions coming up. And you just want me to pray with you and for you. I would love to do that today as your pastor. If you just said, you know what? I'm trying to discern what the wisest choice is in light of my freedom uh, in a particular area of my life. Pray with me and for me. Would you just raise your hand up and say, that's me. Pray for wisdom for me in my life. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you this morning. God, while we recognize today, not, not, not fully, but understand today that there's a lot of freedom within the boundaries of your moral will for our lives. God, we also desperately have a desire to make decisions that are wise, that honor you, advance the gospel, and impact others around us for your glory. And so God, I pray and ask for wisdom. Pray and ask that your Holy Spirit would provide discernment 
for whatever the needs are, whatever the decisions are of those represented by hands that were raised this morning. And Father, at the end of the day, we know the greatest motivator in the decisions we make is loving God and loving people with all of our hearts. So God, may that be the forefront of the motive of our hearts. Father, I pray this morning for those who have been dominated by legalistic thoughts, struggling and wondering if the hardship in their life is because they're not in the center of God's will. God, I pray they would find the freedom that grace offers them this morning and that grace would transform them. God, whatever progress we make, whatever decisions we make that bring you glory, we humbly lay that at your feet because every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. And we thank you for that. And so guide us and bless us. Keep us close to your heart. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.